I'm Michaela Pockner, Associate Editor of Precision Farming Dealer. Welcome to the latest episode of the Precision Farming Dealer podcast. New episodes of this series are available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. Being the newest member of the Precision Farming Dealer team and someone who generally likes looking at data, I'm always interested in finding out what resonates most with you, our listeners and readers. Today's episode of the Precision Farming Dealer podcast features highlights from the top five most listened to interviews we shared on this podcast in 2021. Conversations range from practical advice about hiring new dealership staff, to Precision Agriculture's impact on the environment, to interviews with CEOs of two high-profile Precision Ag Tech companies. Starting us off today is the number one most listened to episode of 2021, titled Succeeding with Interns from Outside of Ag. Here's Executive Editor Kim Schmidt, Carl Hubner, the Integrated Solutions Manager at Hudson Inc., and two of Hudson's interns talking about the 30-store Deer Dealerships Internships Program. That's kind of our model is we're, we're stacking underneath product specialists, uh, letting them get a solid year at least with that product specialist. And then from there, uh, we're going to turn them loose uh, in, the, in the sales or aftermarket part of the world to let them uh, be a, an employee that's very vetted, an employee that uh, it's kind of as John Deere becomes a technology company, we're trying to figure out how to become a technology company as well. And this is kind okay. of the best way we're figuring out how to do it. I guess to start, Connor and Andrew, you can decide who goes first, but you want to just introduce yourself, tell me a little bit about where you came from, what you were doing as an intern, you know, what your role is there and what you're doing now. So, Kim, my name's Connor Smith. Um, I'm originally from Western Kentucky, um, and I graduated, uh, like I told you, uh, in December from the University of Kentucky. Like Carl said, I was never part of a farm, but I was always, uh, you know, around them. Um, a bunch of my friends were farmers, so I'd always hang around their shops. That kind of got me interested in the ag. So I graduated with an agriculture economics degree. And then, you know, not many places offer a position or a, a, an internship like the one I'm in now. Um, and, and this is what intrigued me to pursue this internship quite heavily is the fact that I thought it would help me as a person to know everything possible to be successful. And from what I'm learning now is, is exactly that. It's helping me learn from the ground up, from all the problems, you know, like I just said, I've been out in the field most of the time, so I've seen these problems in the real world, but now I'm getting down to the nitty gritty of what exactly causes those problems and how they can be fixed a multitude of ways. So I think that will definitely benefit me on down the line to, you know, help a customer out so they don't have to go through having to call a tech. And then, you know, if that tech's busy having to wait, I can just kind of expedite the process, if you will, Mm -hmm. just help them out and get them up and running as soon as possible. So, I think it's very, a very great idea and a, a great thing with, with what Hudson is doing um, in, in training us under product specialists and then releasing us out into the sales force. And how about you, Andrew? Yeah, just a, a piggyback kind of went off of Connor said. I graduated from Middle Tennessee last year um, as a certified athletic trainer. So kind of all, all in the medical field until now. Um, I've always had an interest in ag. Just wasn't around it enough to really know any any options uh, in ag other than being a farmer. And I knew, you know, being a farmer these days without being a, having a family in it or a kind of a, a gateway into it, it's kind of impossible to start on your own. So uh, going through the medical field, I uh, 
just really, really wasn't into it. Um, wanted to do ag and there's really not many opportunities around to uh, get into ag if you don't have any experience at all. Um, luckily, you know, Hudson has this um, nice model where they're trying to find people with um, similar experiences um, outside of ag that could excel um, once they start learning ag. Um, so that's kind of what brought me here finally. I've been under uh, John Perkins, who's a product specialist here, kind of teaching me the rope. I haven't been here quite as long as Connor. I'm right at a month now, mm -hmm. um, but I've been kind of thrown into the fire, you know, uh, going into the field with John and learning everything I can. And it's, it's been a great experience. So how did you find your way to Hudson? Was it through outreach that, that Hudson was doing you see, or just seeing, you know, job listing or, you know, how did you from a totally unrelated field? Yeah. So uh, me personally, um, trying to get into the ag field, I'm actually doing a master's in ag at okay. uh, Murray State. Um, I forget exactly who, but someone from Hudson had reached out to the Hudson School of Ag at Murray State and kind of sent out uh, an email um, to all of the graduate students and undergrad students saying, hey, this is kind of the program we're starting. Um, here's the, the job listing and some more um, info on it. If you're at all interested, get in contact um, with with us and we'll see what, what we can do to give you more info and see where it goes from there. So I reached out and here I am. <laughs> okay, so you had already made the decision to get into this Master's Act program before you went Correct. out. It wasn't yep. totally out of the blue. It wasn't out of the blue completely, no. <laughs> um, and then Carl, did you could you maybe just kind of explain a little bit about how um, I mean, you touched on a little bit with talking about putting them with the product managers, but kind of how you've structured even either the outreach in trying to find people outside of ag um, and then kind of what the, the program itself looks like. Yeah, I think our the role of our product specialists is, is to help people succeed, uh, whether they're in aftermarket or whether they're in whole goods, you know, that, that doesn't really matter much for us. So good people find a way to win and uh, resourceful people we're going to learn as they go and I think that's um, that's a, a lot of what that role does and so uh, stacking somebody underneath them that can uh, learn from somebody that's incredibly skilled within their role uh, we've kind of got away from an apprenticeship style model in okay. this business and it feels like maybe in some ways uh, that was a mistake and it's time to get back to some of that especially when uh, there's incredibly qualified incredibly uh, you know uh, you know, good people in other <clears throat> other industries and other roles that um, I think it's no different than what Andrew said. You know, I thought being involved with ag and I was a farmer, right? <laughs> and um, but when you but when you look at uh, the amount of candidates that are out there, um, I guess a, a cleaner way to say it is like this: that uh, the pool of candidates that we're selecting from, fewer and fewer of them are from the family farm mm -hmm. or have any real experience. They may be like Connor, where they might have been raised near a cornfield or knew somebody uh, who knew somebody who did something like that. Uh, but them directly being involved with it or being in a cab or anything like that, they just never really had that experience. And so we've got to fast track that knowledge into them uh, so they can support people that do that for a living. And uh, there's no, to me, there's no cleaner way than to stack them underneath a product specialist that does that for their uh, their bread and butter day job and uh, and they get to learn from the best of the best of what we have to offer and then whenever we feel like they're able to um, support on a basic level uh, and they're able to um, have a good customer interface uh, then we're going to turn them loose into the organization and uh, let them become our, our future leaders 
next up is pairing predictable precision tasks with the power of robotics and automation. Our second most played episode of 2022. Let's listen in as Michael Langemeyer and Michael Bolge with Purdue Center for Commercial Agriculture discuss the role of dealers in an increasingly automated ag industry. Bolge starts us off. We have done some work with some of the machinery and equipment manufacturers and dealers to try to help them do a better job and be more proactive in terms of exactly deciding how to how to bring precision technology to their to their customer base. So I think they play a really critical role. Not only the the manufacturers play a critical role in terms of developing the technology and the R&D they're doing in terms of bringing this new technology along at a much faster pace than it would be otherwise. They're not only doing that with some of their not only traditional engineering activity, but also through M&A acquisitions of companies that, again, have focused on precision activity in other industries. And so that's been an exciting play that we see happening at the manufacturing level. At the dealer level, this is how that manufacturer really, really moves these new technologies to the customer base. And so dealers are really, really, I think, moving rapidly. And many of them are really excited about the opportunity that they see in terms of bringing to precision agriculture technology to their farm customer base. They're having workshops and seminars and demos and uh, uh, doing all sorts of things to uh, to bring telematics uh, to, for example, their customers. So, uh, uh, and, and they're using it, in, dealers are using it in terms of um, uh, agronomic dealers and chemical dealers using it in their own equipment to, uh, to try to figure out how to do the scheduling, how to do the uh, the uh, movement of their equipment uh, from location to location, how to do a better job of, of uh, even in some cases, 24-7 uh, application of fertilizer, seed, and chemicals and doing it more efficiently and effectively. And, uh, and as I indicated, moving their, their equipment from site to site in a more efficient and effective fashion. And uh, the same thing is, uh, is happening at the producer level where we have multiple units. Uh, I was just out yesterday and uh, so 224 row um, planters working side by side in the same field. Well, actually, they weren't quite side by side, but they were sure, sure wanting to make sure they didn't run into each other. And that's a whole part of, of what this whole thing is, is about, is uh, doing it more efficiently and more effectively and scheduling. And um, it's, it's, it's a brand new way of farming uh, from my perspective. And, and we see both uh, farmers and dealers uh, being uh, really uh, pretty proactive in terms of adopting this new technology. The, the surveys show that we're in kind of the ramp up stage of the adoption curve in this area and uh, it's, it's coming much more rapidly than I think uh, in the recent say five to ten years than it did for the first uh, 20 or so years we were talking about precision agriculture. Just a couple things to add to that Mike and, and Jack. Uh, first of all from a producer standpoint technology can be a competitive advantage. And so, and so that the key thing there is for them to be convinced that this technology is going to add value. One of the ways that dealerships have been able to do that, and I think Mike, uh, you know, talked a little bit about that, but I want to bring that point home a little further, uh, is, is dealers have been hiring expertise uh, to help people set up the technology and also service the technology, just work with the technology, work with the data. 
that's created with the technology. So that's one of the ways they can really help producers to start adapting these technologies because there's a, there's a different skill set uh, when you talk about the old technology versus this new technology. And so by hiring these expertise at the dealer level, you can get people to adopt these technologies a little bit quicker and they can see the advantages of these technologies a little bit quicker. One of the things that we talked about in the automation and robotics article uh, that I think has a lot of potential, and, and I don't know to the extent that they're doing this in agriculture uh, dealerships yet, but I think they will uh, down the road, and that's 3D printing of parts. Uh, you know, the 3D printers are becoming much more sophisticated, uh, you know, even uh, more efficient, uh, uh, cost less. Uh, and so I think that has a lot of potential because, uh, you know, as we talk about in the article, but, but, but uh, talking to farmers, this is also a very real issue. Any downtime you have during planting and harvesting, particularly planting, is extremely expensive. And so if we can get these parts out, parts out to these farmers quicker, uh, get the machine fixed quicker, uh, that that's that's worth a lot of money, and so I, I think that that particular technology has a lot of promise for dealerships. Uh, just a just a just a comment a little bit on that. This whole issue, uh, one of the payoffs that we talk about of precision agriculture is the reduced downtime. It's a uh, and and as we're trying to in in one of the articles, we we talk about the number of of ways in which you can reduce that downtime that a farmer faces. And the, with the concerns we have about getting uh, timely planting, particularly, uh, uh, but also harvesting, uh, this whole issue of downtime uh, reduction uh, by not only uh, uh, getting uh, machinery uh, uh, pre-prepared for uh, going to the field, uh, using telematics to figure out what might be a possible repair that needs to be made in anticipation of a particular breakdown during the critical period, but secondly, to uh, work at more hours, and uh, third, to get when you do need to repair, to get it done more quickly using 3D printing. Uh, those are all different ways that precision agriculture is going to increase the efficiency and get payoffs to both farmers as well as to uh, dealers trying to serve those farmers. to the number three episode on our list of top five podcasts of 2021, I'd like to invite you to the upcoming Dealership Mind Summit in Iowa City, Iowa, July 26 through 27. This two-day dealers-only conference offers knowledge-packed general sessions, panels, roundtable discussions, networking, and more. Mark your calendars for July 26 through 27 and register online at dealershipmindsummit.com. In our third most listened to episode of the year, titled How Precision Technology is Creating More Environmentally Friendly Agriculture, Kurt Blades of the Association of Equipment Manufacturers shares how a study about precision agriculture in the U.S. aims to educate lawmakers and the public about the environmental benefits of precision agriculture. A stated, stated audience for this has been the public. And you know, obviously, we like to talk to farmers as well. But we talk, but but when we design this for farmers, we're very clear. It's like you're not the intended audience. You are looking at this to be armed with this information to share to people that are not farmers. Right. So we wrote we wrote the examples and easy to easy to uh, to digest and sometimes playful, you know, conversations like. Uh, one of the one of the things we say is that you know productivity has increased an estimated four percent as a result of precision adoption over the last twenty years, and that is the equivalent of ten point two million acres 
being avoided uh, or four and a half Yellowstone national parks not being tilled because productivity has, has, uh, has increased. And you put those in those terms that, that a non-farmer gets, you know, their eyes open right up. It's pretty right. fun. And another one we, another one we used was, uh, you know, taking a look at, at uh, water as an example, you know, the application, you know, using precision irrigation, we avoided 750,000 Olympic swimming pools just because we put sensors in the ground or because of auto guidance and fleet telematics, we saved 100 million gallons of fossil fuels or the equivalent of 193,000 cars taken off the road in fuel savings alone. Yeah. Those, those are, numbers matter. Yeah. Those are great examples too, because I mean, like I can't picture how much water, however many millions of gallons that was that you said, you know, like, but that many pool, like I can picture one Olympic size pool, 700 and whatever yeah. it was, you know, that's, that's a crazy amount. And, you know, four yeah. and a half Yellowstone National Parks. Okay, now I'm, that's serious land. Now, exactly. And what's cool about all those things, Kim, and this is the greatest story that I love telling when talking about precision agriculture, farmers adopted this because it made sense to them. Mm -hmm. They, the, the environmental benefits are a ride along. That wasn't their primary driver. Their primary driver because it made sense to them. It made sense for a farmer to have a tractor that steers in a straight line. It doesn't overlap. But boy, the environmental benefits of, as, a, as an add-along, that story resonates very well. First version of this didn't include carbon uh, yeah. CO2 emissions. And then we, had, we, then we updated it uh, to include carbon emissions because, you know, frankly, uh, because of you know, some of those discussions that are happening in D.C. right now. Uh, and so what we were able to do is take all of these things together. So you take auto guidance, section control, variable technology, fleet telematics, and you, you couple that with more productive land use, reduced herbicide use, re, uh, better uh, fertilizer efficiency, reduced water use, reduced fossil fuel consumption. We put all of those together to create sort of some crazy numbers as it relates to the amount of carbon that has simply been avoided because of the current adoption of precision agriculture. And the number we came up with was 10.1 million metric tons have been avoided as a result of adoption of precision agriculture. And to put that in perspective, that's 2.2, that's the equivalent of 2.2 million passenger vehicles. So when you throw a number like that out, people's jaws drop. And then you back it up with the facts and that's why agriculture is part of these conversations about being part of the solution for you know the, some of the some of the challenges that uh, that our that our planet is facing. Yeah. And what is really fun is that we talk about this in a positive way. Not farmers are the farmers are the enemy. Farmers are the solution, and precision ag is the solution. And that's a lot of fun. Those are completely different conversations than we were having five years ago. Uh, where arrows were being being pointed our direction of doing doing the bad things. Right. When we yeah. can tell things that we're doing right. It's pretty fun. The number four and five most listened to podcasts of 2021 are conversations with CEOs of two ag tech companies that made headlines over the past year. Coming in at number four is this episode featuring Michael Ott, CEO of Rantizo discussing the company's drone offerings and its unique viewership model. So 
Rantizo is selling a turnkey drone spraying package. We target this specifically to ag retailers, uh, selling them everything that they need for safe and legal drone application. So it's a drone hardware, software, insurance, permitting, a trailer, support, all the training that you need. So everything that you need to have a drone as part of your operations, which really leverages up the abilities and capabilities of everything else that ag retailers have. So our audience is precision farming dealers primarily. Is there an opportunity for, you know, someone who who isn't an ag retailer but has a, you know, a similar business to work with you guys and if so, what are Absolutely. some of those opportunities? Yeah, we're looking for partners that are uh, and customers that are providing spraying services or doing spraying themselves, and we'll we'll hook them up with everything that they need. So that's that's our that's our target market. We aren't going directly to farmers. We're trying to find people that are providing those services. And then, um, you know, so if a dealer wants to be become a, a contractor with you guys, what's kind of involved in in getting uh, hooked up with you guys? So we'll find the, the right size package for them. It could be just a single drone. It could be a drone in a trailer or a swarm of up to three drones at a time. Uh, we're the only people that are legally swarming uh, nationwide. So that package uh, will sell them what they need and then provide training. So they'll come to Iowa City and we'll show them how to, how to do it, uh, how to work, work the drone. Uh, work on some marketing, tell them how the whole uh, uh, billing system works, everything else like that. And then we can provide them support in the field uh, as they get out there and, you know, inevitably questions will pop up. So do you work with them then on getting the a drone license or is that something that they need to do on their own and then kind of... It's a, it's a collaborative effort. So there's three okay. things that you need for legal drone spraying. So first is a part 107, and that's a drone pilot license that the actual pilot has to take. And that's a, that's a relatively easy test. Uh, second is your state applicator license, which once again, the pilot has to take that. They have to pass if they're in Missouri or Kansas or Minnesota or wherever, just pass to, to their satisfaction. So those are two easy things to do. The third thing that's really difficult is the 137. That comes from the FAA, and Rantizo has that. And once you're trained by us and you meet our standards, then you can fly on our 137. So there's two easy things, one difficult one. We make the difficult thing very easy. Okay. Can you um... – Others may know what this is, but can you explain what that 137 is? Sure. So the FAA regulates federal airspace. Uh, we're obviously flying in federal airspace, and we're spreading what are called economic poisons. That's anything that affects the growth of a plant. So a herbicide, uh, an insecticide, uh, water can be an economic poison if you're, you know, uh, irrigating something. You're actually affecting the growth of it. Uh, so that's that's what that is. So when you're spreading something like that, you need to have a license to do so. And we've taken, make that really difficult process that takes several months and thousands of dollars to get a standard license. We actually have a much more complex integrated license. So the Rantizo 137 has a swarming exemption, so we can actually fly three drones at once, and we have no buffer to the edge of the field. So many drones have like a 500-foot buffer, so you can't go with closer than 500 feet to a road, which 
that's a really penalizing thing for other drone applicators because the, the edge applications are the best things to use a drone for. And if you're legally prohibited from being 500 feet, that's a problem. Rantizo has that solved. We have no buffer. We can get right up to the edge and uh, that's the best situation for drones. And we can do it with more than one in the air at the same time. Rounding out our list of top five episodes of 2021 is my conversation with Eugenio Capiro, CEO of Bear Flag Robotics, the autonomous driving startup acquired by John Deere in August. Let's listen in as Capiro explains how the company will work with Deere as a subsidiary. Talking about the acquisition, how did those conversations between your companies first start? Well, yeah, I mean, we've known Deere for almost since the inception of the company. We were in John Deere's startup collaborator in 2019, I forget. Um, I mean, we got to know all the people that we interface now, you know, with today, right? Like, um, so I report to Dan Livefried, and I'm, I met him three years ago um, in Urbandale, right? As, you know, while we were still figuring out a lot of things with the company, and Deere was immensely helpful to us in our journey. Um, and I think one of the things we did well was bring them along for the ride and sort of expose some of the learnings that we were having in the field. And I think they were impressed with their progress. Um, you know, we um, we moved remarkably quickly, but we we're also always eager to um, share learnings with them and get their feedback. And they've been immensely helpful to us even before the acquisition, of course. And so when they approached us to ask if we'd be interested in joining forces, it was kind of a no-brainer for us. We were like, yes, this not only um, not only is this um, you know strategically where we want to be with the market leader, but we also know you're on a human level, um, and we know that our cultures align, our values align. Um, and so it was really a no-brainer. Do you recall some of the areas where Deer was offering you guidance that helped you get to where you are now? Oh yeah, I mean, um, they uh, they shared some. You know, they have you know the largest or one of the largest, not the largest, customer bases of growers in the world, and they have a lot of insights to where these growers would really value autonomous. Um, and they shared they shared a lot of that with us. Um, and you know, really happily, it was. Um, it was confirmatory rather than like mind blowing, right? Like it was like, oh, we also see the world the same way. And so a lot of the core assumptions we've made um, seem, seem to hit here. Um, but there was also a lot of nuance there too. And um, to their credit, they were extremely, um, they were extremely open with that. They wanted, they, you know, they wanted us to see, succeed too um, so that we could learn the lessons and um, we could be out there sort of um, sharing what we've done with them. And like, listen, I'd say this very transparently. We make, we make mistakes every, every day, right? We, we move forward as quickly as possible. We, we make good on our mistakes. You know, we always do right by the customer um, and we endeavor to never make the same mistake twice, but that's part of the process, right? And that, that process is really valuable. And so um, I think we were also pretty transparent with Deer about missteps we've made and things that we, we don't think will work. Um, and I think they valued that transparency too. What is an example of a mistake that you've made that ultimately you use to further the product? Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, I, I think areas about, you know, applications, um, you know, sometimes we've got, you know, we've, we've pursued opportunities um, that probably didn't, didn't make sense from a larger perspective, but we did them because um, they were right in front of us and, you know, realizing that that wasn't a good place to invest time and unwinding them pretty quickly and, and moving forward. Um, you know, in hindsight, it's obvious, but when you're in the thick of it, um, and you have, you know, a huge customer that's asking you to go do this thing. Um, the temptation from a startup perspective is you have to say yes, right? 
Um, so we probably chased a couple technical initiatives that, that didn't make sense for our long-term roadmap, but we learned a ton from it and we were able to find it without missing expectations from growers. Were they technical in terms of what the equipment was going to do or what did that look like? Yeah, it was sort of, you know, corner cases of you know, how, how the tillage operation will work insofar as, you know, what bed setup would look like in this particular farm, what, how we would need to change you know, our technology to, to address this corner case. Um, things like that, right, where um, I think we might have lost that big picture. That's it for our top five most played podcasts of 2021. You can listen to all five of the full episodes at precisionfarmingdealer.com slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Were there any conversations that stuck with you in 2021 that weren't on this list? Share them with me by emailing mpaulkner at lessetermedia.com or calling 262-777-2441. And be sure to keep up on the latest precision practices impacting your dealership by registering for our free daily email newsletter. Go to precisionfarmingdealer.com to sign up. From all of us here at Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Associate Editor Michaela Paulkner. Thanks for listening. 